This is a production of JetWit.com. Special thanks to U.S. Jet AA and Claire for their support. Hello and welcome to the Jetosphere podcast, the podcast about things related to the Jet Alumni Association community, broadly defined. I'm Zach Piper. I was a Jet in Kochi Ken from 2001 to 2004. And I'm Stephen Horowitz. I was an ALT in Aichi Ken Kariyashi from 1992 to 1994. And we are here with Adam Lisbon, who was, where were you? I was a Kobe Jet from 2004 to 2007. Got it. Okay. Nice. So, and we are thrilled to have Adam here from Jeddah Rocky Mountain. Sorry, it's it's Rocky Mountain Jeddah, right? Uh, Jeddah Rocky Mountain. Oh, it is? Okay. Yes. I thought it was, I thought it went on. It used to be, we flipped it. So we like to confuse everybody. Oh, was that a big, was that a controversial decision? <laughs> no, I wasn't around for it. I've just always known it as Jet AA Rocky Mountain, but we have okay. some senpai who say it the other way. So you'll hear okay. both throughout the podcast. It's fine. Okay. Okay. And so Zach and I are going to try to introduce Adam based on whatever we happen to know about him. And then Adam will fill in the rest. So Zach, feel free to to jump in with any crazy things you know about Adam. Well, as we were saying before the podcast started, Adam and I actually know each other pretty well online, but have never um, actually sat down and talked to each other in person. We, we may have been in the same room at Jet 30, but uh, we didn't know each other back then. But I do know Adam now. We're in a couple different online communities together. I know he's a big runner. I know he's an excellent photographer. I know he just got tenure. And when I say just got tenure, it could have been two years ago. I've lost all frame of reference, but it was a big deal. And so congratulations on that. Uh, and I know he works in a library. He's a library specialist. Oh, and he, and he does just got a big collection of excellent Japanese texts, I think, within the past couple months. How's that? How'd I do? Pretty good. Pretty good. He's a, you say he's a librarianist? Librarian-ish? Librarian-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what his official title like is. <laughs> and and you know him, you know he's a great photographer because of the Jetta Facebook group that you set up, Zach, right? The Jetta monthly photo one. Is that why? Or are you just going based on his Facebook photos? I generally just on his Facebook photos. He does oh. participate in in my monthly photo project, which is not a jet thing. It's my personal thing, though anybody is welcome to join the monthly photo project. But mostly, I, you know, I follow Adam on Instagram as well. And so I see a lot of his these sweeping Colorado landscapes and I'm very jealous often. Yes. yes. And let's see, I'll, I'll chip in what I know about Adam. I first met Adam, I think when he got back from Jet and came to New York. And I remember some really funny conversations with him at Izakaya's as he was telling us stories of, of great jet experiences. And he, I remember he has a knack for a good, good story. And then he, he, I think he moved. I can't remember if he disappeared or he moved. One of those two. And he was in, he moved to Colorado and he, be, and he got active in Jetta Rocky Mountain. And I think at some point became the president of the chapter. Is that right? Were you a president? I was, yeah. Did you, did you hold any other officer positions there? Uh, I have also been the secretary for the chapter. And did you did you hold any positions in, in the Jetta New York chapter? No, but I was invited to be secretary once, but I was living in Albany, New York, a little too far from New York City to help out with the board. Oh, 
Okay. Okay. So an almost officer in New York and and two different officer roles in in Colorado, and and I know that he he went for a degree in library science and now he is a librarianist and and I know about the running from Facebook and everything like that. So I think that covers it and that the name Lisbon is kind of a rare name, but I just learned that in chatting before we started recording. <laughs> okay. So Adam, feel free to to comment on our. Um, wags our wild last guesses at sure yeah so i can i'll start from the beginning so i came back from jet in 20 no 2007 and the first day back my boyfriend dumped me and that oh. was my return to america Whoa. totally Welcome okay <laughs> i kind of deserved it i wasn't a great was boyfriend at the time i had it coming to me so was he, he was not a jet he was american he was american but not a jet but that's another story for another time that's like <laughs> jet sphere after dark so uh, <laughs> we'll have the broken hearts podcast but, later. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Anyway, we're good friends now, actually. So it all worked out. But I I was back in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. And I floated around for a bit and then decided to move to California because why not? I've lived in Japan. I can make it across the country. It's fine. I lived in two years in California and I met Mark Fry out there at, when I was over there. I made some great friends out there. I also got to help plan the pre-departure ceremony for the Jets back in, I think, 2010, sometime around then. And then I returned to New York for my graduate degree, got my master's in library science and information science. And I really wanted to be a Japanese studies librarian. And I didn't think that would happen. So I worked at being a public librarian. And then the University of Colorado Boulder posted for a Japanese studies librarian. I went and did one interview two months after getting my graduate degree, got the job and have been in Colorado since 2013. So I got out here, Colorado is known for its natural beauty, and that's when the running really picked up. And I made the jump from running to trail running to ultra marathoning. So I've run four ultra marathons so far, wow. or five, I'm not sure now. I lost- What's an ultra marathon? Any, any distance over 26.2 miles, so- Over 26.2 yeah. over, over, yeah. So I've done four 100 kilometer races, which is Ooh. about 62 miles. That's impressive. Um, it's long? It, it depends on the course. The longest one took me 21 hours. The shortest one took me 13 hours. So it's a big difference. And do you take um, a break at 13 hours? That's my flight to Japan when I went on no, jet. <laughs> right? no, you, you, you long. I remember how bored I was just sitting there. <laughs> you, you stop for some food at, at aid stations and then you just keep going because, you, you know, the only other choice is to sit down and die. So you might as well finish the race. <laughs> <laughs> right. so do you take break? Do people take breaks or you just do it straight? I might, I might walk a little bit, but I keep moving. So did you ever read that short story by Stephen King called The Long Walk? I did not. It's from the one, the Bachman book that's different seasons. And it's the one that has the running man in it. Okay. But, uh, the long walk. Oh, anyway, I won't, I won't <laughs> spoil it. But anyway, it made me think of that. Well, I, I started my job here in 2013. So I am a now a tenured professor and the Japanese and Korean studies librarian at the University of Colorado Boulder. And I, I had to I had the opportunity to do a wonderful project where I documented the history of the university's Japanese and Japanese American legacy, which is something uh, I would have never done if I hadn't done JET 15, 16 years ago now to have turned that around and used it to promote Japanese culture and Japanese American culture is a real honor and a great pleasure. And I was also on the board. Wherever I went, I just found the JetAA board and connected, made friends right away. So it was never hard to move in terms of meeting new people. And I became secretary. I always wanted to be on the board, but was never quite living close enough to the center of too much going on in my life. And 
getting this job and starting this career was the first time I was stable enough. I eventually became president, I think from 2017 to 2019. And we actually hosted the Jet AA USA National Conference in Denver. And it was a great pleasure to have gotten to do that and show people a bit of Colorado and see the Rocky Mountains from the hotel window. So I remember it was a blast. that. Was a, I was that there. That was great. Fantastic conference. That was, <laughs> it was every, yeah, everything you wanted it to be. And how, did, let me ask, how did you get involved with Jet to begin with? What made you go on Jet? Oh, gosh. It has been so, so long since I did, since I started Jet. I can't remember how I learned about it. Clearly, from my professors in college, I was an East Asian studies major. So, of course, they told me about it. And I remember bits and pieces of my interview. I don't know who the New Yorkers were that interviewed me at the time. I wish I could find them, but I know all that information. My probably my terrible statement of purpose is long gone. Uh, <laughs> you never but, know. Fun fact, at that point, I had actually not spent much time in New York City. I was over an hour late for my interview because I took the wrong subway train and I came running in. And luckily, the New York chapter is used to this happening. And so they give a lot of grace to people who show up late for their interviews. So, yeah. Wow. And they still took you anyway. And they took me anyway. And I forgot (laughs) to take out my earrings at the time because I was young and rebellious (laughs) and was doing that kind of thing. Now I can't be bothered. But at the time, yes. Monica Yuki, her, I forget exactly what this, her story was. She missed she, her interview. Her first one had to reschedule it. Yeah. I think she also submitted her application late. Oh, gosh. And somehow she still got on the program. <laughs> and now she's the Jet A superstar to end all superstars. I mean, <laughs> funny how yeah. things turn out. Oh, it was close to. I always I feel like the rejects, the people who screw up a bit, are the ones who kind of end up sticking around in the Jet alumni community. <laughs> Yeah, I was on the wait list. I, I got off the wait list, so. Mm-hmm. I was also late to my interview. I, I I drove into the city like an idiot and then couldn't find parking. So I had to drive back out, get on the subway and go back oh, in. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it was Boston, so it didn't take too long. But, you know, I was, I was at least an hour was, late. Was that pre-cell phones or did you have a cell phone at that oh, point? Oh, no, that was pre-cell phone. Well, nothing. I, think, like, I don't think I had a cell phone. phone. Pre-smartphone. Oh, definitely sure. pre-smartphone. Yeah. yeah. This, was, this was 2000, so. I may have had a cell phone, maybe not. I had one in Japan. I don't know if I had one in the U.S. when I came back at first. Anyway. So, and then, and then, what? What's it like being president of a of a chapter? Oh I've never gosh, had an elected position. Well, I was very strategic at first. So, Rocky Mountain is one of those small chapters spread out over a really large area, kind of like how Mari was talking about Alaska, right? It's one state, but it's huge probably bigger than our four states combined. So we are Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah. We're centered in Denver because we have a consulate. And it's tricky because you develop a core of people, but you've got people out there in remote towns. There's a place called Medicine Bow, Wyoming, and there was a jet living there. I don't know if she's still there anymore, but it's hard for someone living in the middle of the high arid deserts of Wyoming to come down to Denver for a day and hang out with us all, right? While they're kind of living their life in Wyoming, riding horses and cows, perhaps. But yeah, it it's tricky. And the pandemic sort of afforded a chance to connect the larger chapter a bit more, a theme that's kind of been repeated several times. But really, the activity in the hub and bub happens in the in Denver. And our, our chapter is actually split across the middle by the Rocky Mountains. So we've got people on the West side, which we in Colorado call the Western Slope. So I actually have a friend who's a Jedi, lives out in Grand Junction, also a librarian and archivist, in fact, but not active in Jet AA. In fact, I have a penchant for becoming friends with alumni who are not Jet AA people. 
they don't do it. They, for whatever reason, right? But I kind of update them on the universe of what's going on. So it's sort of interesting that that I've got the super active JET alumni friends and the ones who it's just not part of their life in any way. It's kind of an interesting divide. And I think I see it more maybe because of living in Colorado. So, and I travel a bunch, so I get around, see my friends, all that kind of thing. It seems like the Jetta Rocky Mountain really needs to invest in a like a jetacopter to help. <laughs> Ooh. Right? A or a high speed rail. Yeah, if we could just get a train through the Rockies, <laughs> you know, we built a highway through, we could get a train through. So yeah. But it's a it's like an eight-hour drive to Albuquerque. It's an eight-hour drive or more to Salt Lake City. Cheyenne's kind of close by, but I, I suspect if there's a bunch of jets in in uh Wyoming, they're either in Laramie where the university is, or maybe up being cool in, uh, oh gosh, what's the resort town there that everybody Steamboat. loves? Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Steamboat Springs is place. in Colorado. Yeah. Are there, are there sub chapters in any of the other? We have, we have unofficial ones. So we have a sort of Northern Colorado, Wyoming one based out of Fort Collins. We've got, we've had a Colorado Springs one. Cause we've got maybe seven or nine folks there. We've had a little bit of activity in Utah around Salt Lake city and a little bit around Albuquerque. But again, when there's two jets in Albuquerque and another one living two hours away in Alamosa, it's hard for them to do things together collectively. And what's, what are some differences between the kinds of activities that Jetta Rocky Mountain might do versus the ones that Jetta New York might do? Outdoor things, right? Lots of hiking events, things like that. And it's kind of surprising because you have to really, when you plan a hiking event, you have to go through all the gear people need to bring. Because when new people come and they go out on their first hike, a couple of things happen. They aren't used to the elevation yet. They're panting and struggling. They aren't dressed right for the occasion. You know, in the wintertime, it's like, do you have ice trekkers? Do you have enough layers? Do you have hiking what? poles? What are ice trekkers? They, there's different kinds of them, different models, different companies, but they, they basically cling to snow and ice so you don't slip on them. Oh, they're oh, the like, things that you like strapped to your, the bottom yeah, of your shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But oh, so people show nice. up without them and then they're kind of screwed on the hike and we can't hike because <laughs> of, like we've had this happen once or twice. And as an ultra runner, I have to remember like, we should go on a three mile hike. I should not be forcing people into 10 mile marches <laughs> through the wilderness. Like yeah, you like got to give them like a, a gradation of like how, you know, how difficult a hike is it? How far is it? Is it a loop? Yeah, we have, to, we have to go out all, and back. It, it, it's a surprising amount of information to provide to people. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what do you do? What do you do for your Japan fix in, in Colorado? So yeah. we're really lucky in that we have a really active Japan America Society of Colorado and they're great. Claudine, the, the head of it, she's an amazing woman, used to, used to live in New York. And worked in finance and just is is a baller human being. We actually uh, coordinated with them to do our Nengajo event, our New Year's cards event. And they're very kind and provide space. And we've actually worked together with like, you know, funding can sometimes be tricky and we coordinate together to spend and they can spend funds in different ways. We can spend funds in different ways. So we've actually worked together before to sort of maximize our potential, things like that. And they're able to host space. They have an office in a church and the, the gosh, is it priest who's in charge? or the preacher, he he actually reserves space for different nonprofits to be able to set up and provides access to the space and coordinate. So it's really great to have access to something like that in like central Denver. So that's been a really great partnership that we've had with them. They're pretty awesome. That sounds great. I, I actually joined a week ago, I joined a Japan America Society of Colorado movie discussion night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it was the movie was Tampopo, and I thought I'd seen oh. it before, but then I watched it, and I was like, I have not seen this before. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Yeah. That movie's that a classic. Movie. Yeah, I love that movie. And then I had a really nice discussion. Jessica Livingston had put it up on Facebook, so I saw it. So then I joined that, and I met all these other people who I, I don't even know if any of others the others were Jet alum necessarily, mm-hmm. but a really nice group, and it was fun to talk. We, you watch the movie ahead of time, and then you get on and talk about it. Right. Oh, that sounds fun. Wish I'd known. I, I love that movie. Yeah, that was, that was, because uh, it had all these vignettes. Mm-hmm. That, like, mm-hmm. really nothing to do with the main story. <laughs> so, and, and speaking of, of Tampopo, where can you get good ramen in, in Denver now? Yeah, we have an interesting Japanese American and Japanese community out here. So there is a Japanese business association of the Rockies. So there's a native Japanese presence in some Japanese companies. And that's, excuse me, that's led to people coming out here. A lot of people in science and tech. IBM has a big presence here. The federal government has a lot of research facilities in Colorado too, you may not know about. A lot of around atmospherics. The national time is kept in Boulder, Colorado, where yeah, the atomic clock is in Boulder at the NOAA research facility. And so we actually have a pretty big Japanese presence because of the economy. There's enough tech jobs that we get international workers and things like that. And that leads to some Japanese people who move here. But also there's a legacy here because we have Japanese Americans who live in Colorado. They have family in Japan still. There's these connections there. And so we do see Japanese people moving out here. I actually met a guy. He opened a restaurant called Osaka Burger. He's from Japan. He's actually from Kobe, which was really surprising. We got chatting. And uh, he opened a, delicious. he opened a almost okonomiyaki restaurant. So he oh. Americanized a little bit. He it, 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 What they do is they make burgers but the patty is like modanyaki or something like that mm. with the Hiroshima style. And then the patties are, or the bun is okonomiyaki, like uh, pancake. Yeah. So, but it comes with a side of fries, which is not very Japanese at all. So he's kind of splitting the difference between like Americanizing and offering like a Japanese food you don't see too often. But yeah, I think it's that Japanese legacy. We have a lot of Japanese farmers out here. Not so much anymore, I should say that that has kind of come and passed in terms of of that. But, uh, you know, this is a bit of Colorado history for you. but, But in World War II, Colorado was the only Western state that would not incarcerate its Japanese citizens and Japanese American citizens. And a lot of people fled out here to get here to avoid um, oh, having to go to camps. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, I, yeah, I, thought, I thought it was, I mean, Roosevelt signed the executive mm-hmm. order, I guess, and, allowing it, but not requiring it. Right. Well, our governor, no, he required it, but our uh, governor, Ralph Carr, refused to do it. So here's the thing. We actually had an incarceration camp in Colorado. But Japanese and Japanese Americans who lived and resided in Colorado didn't get sent there. It was Japanese and Japanese Americans from other states that ended up in it. And oh, wow. this is the bit. This is the bit where I, I did a program called the Mirai Generations Project, which is a, the Japanese American community here. They've done a lot of work with getting their younger generations more involved in community organizations and getting to understand the local history. And I am not Japanese. I'm not Japanese American. I have no Japanese heritage. But I did it because I started to realize that there wasn't a sort of archival component to the work they were doing. And I actually applied and joined with the perspective of helping with archiving the community's history. And that led to the Japanese and Japanese American Community History Project at CU Boulder. And the overlap there is during World War II, for a brief time, the US Navy's Japanese language school was here at CU Boulder. And we would hire people out of the camps to get them out of the camp. And they could come here and work 
And we also, you know, some of our native folks, just native Coloradans, they came and helped teach and things like that. And a lot of those soldiers, white men, they went on to go assist and facilitate as translators and cultural experts and things like that. There's some scholars that are well-known, like Donald Keene. He was here very briefly. Yeah, there's a story, I forget his name, but there was one gentleman who in the Pacific Theater, you know, after the Japanese had sort of were losing the battle, he was able to get on a comm system and in Japanese explain like, we're here, the American military is here. If you surrender, we'll take care of you. It's fine. And that led to a lot less bloodshed. So there's this really, and, and, and it's thanks to the fact that there were Japanese Americans here that taught them to speak Japanese, that they were able to go and do that and, and take part in these more pacifist approaches within the military. So, but yeah, we've been documenting the history of our, our Japanese Americans and Japanese students. We've done interviews. I think we have about 20 up in our archive now that are digitally available. We were scanning documents from the 20s, 30s. I think our first Japanese graduate was in 1910 and he was becoming a doctor. I'd have to find the documentation, but yeah. So it was really, it was really interesting, like from jet to, you know, you think about that soft power component of, yeah. of uh, Japanese government policy and this gra- grassroots experience. And I think like, that's what the Japanese government is hoping some of us end up doing, right? We go and we yeah. archive Japanese in America and like, oh, here I am doing, I never in a million years thought I would get to do anything like that. You know, I, I think I didn't have much direction in my life before I did jet and I volunteered as a librarian on jet for Hyogo Ajet, in fact. And I had 2000 books in my tiny apartment and I would mail them to people, bring them back. And that was the spark for becoming a librarian. So thanks to Japan. You were running a library out of your apartment? I was. That's amazing. Through the post, yeah. So (laughs) it was like Netflix before Netflix. Yeah, thanks to jet, I found my career and passion. Yeah, so I wanted to be a librarian before it was cool because that seems to be a trendy thing as of late, but I think that's mostly past. So. How, how did you get all those books? Oh, for Hyogo Ajet? They just, the previous librarian had them and then I inherited them. And so they rented a van, drove them all to me and dumped them in my apartment. And I eventually passed them on to someone else. Holy so. Who, so is it still going? I have no idea. The world's so different now, right? Like yeah, ebooks were yeah. not really a thing back then. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the last time I checked out a physical book from the library, but <laughs> but I check out ebooks all the time because it's, right. you know, it's right there on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, that's the story. Yeah, it is. I mean, I remember going to the Jeddah DC National Conference at least 10 years ago or so. And there was a former State Department head of, or not the head of State Department, but he was an ambassador or something named Russ Deming. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the grassroots diplomacy aspect of, of JET. And I had not, really, you know, they always talked about a grassroots diplomacy, this and that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he <laughs> explained that at the time of World War II, that we actually had very good relationships between the US and Japan at the elite level. Hmm. He said, but not at the grassroots level, not at just the regular people level. And and I think that became a big deal in the 80s when Japan's economy got strong and there was a lot of resentment of Japan and the US and bashing Japanese cars and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I I have to imagine that the JET program is in part a response to that so that there's all these people out in the world that are familiar with Japan. And mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about that a little bit in a, in a previous episode, I think, but, and exactly the kinds of thing you got involved in 
end up happening because of these seeds that got planted. So you thought you were just over in Japan kind of getting drunk and reading books <laughs> and that, but you know, I mean, I, I assume you were probably a pretty good teacher with the kids, but whether we were or weren't good teachers, there's still a very long-term benefit from when we come back and, mm -hmm. and uh, they connected mm -hmm. with Japan in some way. Yeah, for um, sure. On that very serious note, we have a game that we want to play with you today, Adam. This is based on the previous episode we recorded. We used this podcast editing or production app called the script and it automatically generates a transcript and it also it's not entirely accurate and in fact there's um often a number of mistranscriptions so zach <laughs> is going to read we, we picked out two mistranscriptions and zach's going to read uh, each of them and you're going to try to guess i think both of them were said by matt gillum okay and you're going to try to guess what he was actually saying okay what this, this was actually transcripted by Descript. I have not edited it. We didn't touch it or anything like that. Okay, go ahead, Zach. Well, it's, it's important to first note that we are not being sponsored by Descript, but we are open to sponsorships. So Descript. Right. If am I on wait, wait, don't tell me what's happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So number one, what did they actually mean when they said, he is kind of just this great big fixture in the Jedi gay community. <laughs> <laughs> He is a he is this great big fixture in the Jet AAI community, as in Jet AA International. Steven. Very close, yeah, very close. It was really just the Jet AA community. Ah, it wasn't even the Jet AAI community, but somehow Descript turned that into Jet A Jedi Gay. Community. The Jedi Gay. Community. I mean, I mean to be fair, I'm part of the Jet AA Gay community, so you know. Yeah. Very on brand. I feel like this was planned. <laughs> because this happened I, I i pulled this quote earlier in the week and then i just posted on the jetta leaders facebook group and was like who wants to join the podcast and and you joined so completely <laughs> completely unplanned okay second one all right number two he was actually a monkey show english fellow not a jet he was actually a mombu show english fellow not a jet very good. Yeah. Nice. No, honestly, I think monkey show is pretty apt. I often <laughs> felt like a performing monkey when I went to elementary school. I have a um, great monkey story. I'm going to tell it real quick because it's we're please, in a monkey no, situation. Apropos. The best thing I have ever heard a Japanese person ever say in complete seriousness was my my vice principal, my Kyoto. I didn't realize quite how many monkeys there were in Japan or how prevalent they were like everywhere. They're just around in the forest. And one popped out near the school and they're all talking about it. And the I was like, Saru de kai na. And like, we have to get, which is like, that was a big monkey. And they had to like print out notices and send it to the police. Like it was a very big deal that this large monkey got close to the school. But that by far is one of my favorite memories of being on jet. It was like, wow, the intensity and seriousness of this situation versus the words they're saying are hilarious. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw monkeys in the wild in Japan, and it wasn't like one of those monkey parks. I was driving or being driven to one of my schools, which was somewhat remote. And uh, all of a sudden we had to stop because three monkeys just crossed the street. <laughs> and I started giggling. I'm like, oh my God, there's monkeys. This is amazing. I just, <laughs> I'd never seen monkeys in the wild before. It blew my mind. Is there is there another quote I have to guess? That was it. it. Okay, just, just two. two. All right. Very well done. I, I had no idea. I'd been to like a monkey park 
but I, I, until you guys mentioned it, I had no idea there was just kind of monkeys wandering around in the wild. Of, yeah. Of- yeah. Any, any part of the city that sort of edges up against the forest, there's like apparently more monkeying around going on than we realize. <laughs> okay. Grant Minagawa, who's the social chair for Jet, a- Jet AA Southern California and is also works at the Japanese consulate in LA, provided some excellent feedback on on the first two episodes that we published. And I thought we'd go over it here and try to address it. And some of it is like sort of is, is corrections or correcting the record. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll go through it and you guys can comment on it. The first one is he said, I like how you, I liked how you all introduced each other not yourselves, and had different experiences to bring to the table from somewhat different locations or time periods. Yeah, you know, honestly, I thought about the time periods part too, because you, mm-hmm. me, and Joe, at least those three of us, I think we were all in jet in kind of like 10-year spans. Like you were there, Stephen, you were there 10 years before I was, and Joe was there like 10 years after I was. And so that's kind of nice having that, you know, the different generational perspectives. You know, you were there before cell phones. And I was there before <laughs> Facebook yeah. and, you know, Joe had the benefit of all of that. And I like it because it shows how, you know, we started uh, at the beginning talking about how we've never, Zach and I have never like had a beer together yet. We know a weird amount about each other mm-hmm. and we're not stalkers. <laughs> like we just know a lot about each other. I think online jet communities are a really great space for sharing. And that's why we have kind of intimate knowledge about yeah. more than what you might normally find on Facebook. Like, I think we actually use Facebook for the lofty purpose it was meant for and not just misinformation, memes, and scare tactics, right? Like we actually connect with friends and community on Facebook and our jet groups and our jet bubbles. Yeah, for sure. You know, I I really feel like the jet groups are like safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, I post things there that I wouldn't post publicly on my, you know, my Facebook feed. For sure. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I definitely look to the jet groups. Okay, next one. It was interesting to hear about Alaska, even the non-jet parts. It'd be cool to have some introduction to the less known chapters like that later on. So Rocky Mountain Jetta, kind of like Alaska. <laughs> well, we both have mountains. We do not have salmon. We do have trout. So rainbow trout, that's a, that's a big deal here, fishing for rainbow trout. Not that I know how to fish, but I, I do see them in the river when I'm cooling my feet off after a trail run through the oh, mountains. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you've got memberships that are spread out over a wide geographical area. For sure, area. yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we have the same problem that Marty does. Like, you hit, hit the summertime and people are like, I got to get out into all this nature. There's all this stuff going on. But in the winter, it's like, I got to go skiing and I'm going to sit in traffic for six hours just to get to the slopes but I got to justify buying my ski pass for the, for the year. So off I go. Right. So we, we compete a lot with, I think a place like New York or California, right. You compete with cultural institutions or maybe the beach and a place like Colorado, you compete with people's enthusiastic outdoor activities. Very nice. And what about other, what are, what are some other out of the way, lesser known chapters? What what would you put in that category? Hmm. Well, we need to talk to Hawaii. I definitely want to talk to Jet AA Hawaii for sure. Just, well, Grant, Grant uh, Minagawa, he's in LA, but he's from Hawaii originally. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ryan Hata is right. originally from Hawaii, although now he's involved with New York. He's in New York, but hoping to get them on and hoping to then also get some, I don't want to say real Hawaiians on because they are real Hawaiians, but people who are actually involved, currently involved with Jet Hawaii. Well, don't forget Wendy Ikemoto too, in New York here. She's originally from Hawaii as well. That's right. That's right. So got a lot of great guests we can get on the show. Yeah. Okay. 
then he said, I think the newest chapter is Guam, because Mari had said that Jeddah, Alaska is the second newest chapter. Oh, isn't it Music City? That I was thinking Music City too, which is the Nashville chapter, which happened after Hurricane Katrina, mm -hmm. when the Japanese consulate in New Orleans closed and they reopened it eventually in Nashville. Okay. Right? And then that's why Jeddah Music City would be a newer chapter, but I mm. think I think Guam might be even earlier. So this is like the third episode we've talked about this, I think. And we still don't. <laughs> We haven't we done have, our research. We're just guessing. Extremely verifiable answer. <laughs> <laughs> if only it's there were a way to look up info. You could have asked. You could have asked Matt in the episode you just recorded. You know, you that's what you should. He's the guy. We, so we did. But I don't know. Somehow we, I was thinking we were going to get to that, and we just didn't. Okay. So <laughs> an ongoing. This should be the great like, mystery, right? Like eventually right. we'll get somebody from the newest episode. Yeah, line. right. Nobody we just knows. dangle the carrot. Unknowable. Yeah. <laughs> but guam it would be fun to talk to people from guam yeah oh yeah there's yeah, another chapter we gotta talk to like what's Where it like out, in guam? out there get in touch guam okay fact check i believe the question about keeping jet around started before the ldp lost control so he's talking about the jet threat mm. he said, because i think it started just before i went to went on jet, but Hatoyama became PM a little later. So Hatoyama, I guess, was the prime minister under the Democratic, was it the Democratic Party or the Democratic Socialist Party? The LDP. Anyway, so he thought that the whole jet threat actually started before that, that other, that party actually came into power, that there was something that was already going on. So also completely unknowable. We'll never know. I, I was listening to this podcast, that podcast before doing this recording, and I should I was like, I should look that up. But I think it started with Shinzo Abe, and he stopped being prime minister and then came back. And I think in his first round as prime minister, the discussion of like cutting government fat was a jet program was kind of mixed into that. And then I think things changed a bit as the economy got better, and the Olympics were coming up, and there was this motivation to have like a stronger presence of foreigners in Japan with a bit of Japanese speaking capacity, right? And now we're in the post- Olympic, still in the pandemic year, and that's a whole other universe. I mean, we're starting to get jets back who lived there and did their entire jet experience in the COVID pandemic. So that would be an interesting group to kind of find out oh, what, yeah. what life is I like. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who came back. He started before the pandemic, left during the pandemic, but before he left, the Pfizer vaccine came out in Japan and the mayor of his town gave it to him as like a, a gift before he left. <laughs> Uh, sure. You wow. Know, okay. That, that there's there's two kinds of gifts you could give from Pfizer, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because <laughs> we know that one's been approved by Japan drug agent. Okay, and then the last one is says the program is close to 35 years old, but Jet AA is a bit closer to 30, maybe, since people didn't start organizing until they started coming back from the program. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's actually. I mean, the first year of the Jet program was 87. And I think Paige, I think they set up the first Jetta chapter in 89. So I think it's only, the Jet program is only two years older than Jetta by that calculation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, I haven't confirmed that, but I think, it, I'm pretty sure it's 89, but we'll probably never know. Right. There's no way of well, knowing. Well, DC is no chapter one, right? So the, the, DC I'm pretty sure DC LA. is the first DC chapter. Is, okay. Yeah. Oh, and then here's another thing. Grant said, Jetta Hawaii doesn't charge dues. I had said that they do. 
He said there mm -hmm. is or was a one-time membership fee of $25, but that included a t-shirt and reduced fees for events going forward pre-pandemic. So I think that's something they used to do maybe. Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. completely unknowable. We'll never be able to verify. <laughs> he also said, I had a hard time following the first episode. So maybe a little more structure. There was topics, there was topics that kind of jumped around. So maybe focusing on one or two or putting together an outline or some questions beforehand. But this podcast, it's so shinyoku, right? It's so young and it's the fresh leaves of spring. It's still growing. We, we, he has to wait till our untimely death during the Sakura bloom for us to be structured and appropriate. So when we reach that poetic ebb, we will have a beautiful script and sections to the podcast, I'm sure. So, you know, work on your game plan there, Stephen. Okay. You know, but, but Adam, you bring up a good point is that we might be using terms that not everybody who listens knows. So I think Shinryoku, you did explain it as oh. the, the new green growth, you know, this this young concept. But but I think it's important. And I think Grant mentioned that as well. We gotta gotta make sure to define some of our yeah. terms here too. We you can have a you can have a seijinshiki when when you've matured a little more. You can have your coming <laughs> of age ceremony. There you go. Oh, okay. There you go. We'll we can all wear nice kimonos for it. It'll be great. Oh, I'm gonna put on a yeah fancy hakama, <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, he does. He said terms like natcon. We threw around oh, the term yeah. natcon, which means the national, national convention. Conference? Oh, crap. conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've conference. never been to a natcon. What do I know? My favorite one is he goes, I don't think everyone knows who Greg, <laughs> who Greg Beck is. Because I think Joe in our first episode was like, because Greg Beck was in the New York chapter and, and I forget if he was an officer. And then he's been in LA and he be, he was an officer in LA. So Joe's been in both of those chapters. So he's well, like, everybody knows Greg. I think Beck. everybody knows Greg Beck. Steven, we've had, I, we've been around long enough that people don't know who you are, even though you've I been know. running Jetwit. So, you know, <laughs> that that's a big thing though, is that we have been around for so long now that we have generations of alumni and, you know, the, there's new people back and they're coming to NatCons. And I remember actually it was at the Denver NatCon and Mark Fry and I were talking about this, some of us older folks, if you will, but we were commenting on all the new faces. And it was really the first like feeling of a transition of like new people coming in, like the, the way things were changing, like in a good way, like we always have new people coming in. That's sort of inevitable for us, right? But we, we, we know people from our strata in time and the NatCon is a chance for those strata to intermix and mingle. Yeah. Um, and if you go to enough of them, you see the changes start to occur. So mm -hmm. when, by the time I went to the, I hosted the Denver NatCon, which a huge shout out actually to my board at the time, because they were awesome. And my treasurer, especially Michael Matson, oh, bless his heart. Cause he really did the heavy lift on that. The, the treasurer is really the, the hero of any NatCon. You just don't see the work they, but uh, yeah, that, that I had been to my first Nat, NatCon was in Detroit and it was just this eye-opening, amazing experience. I felt like I was in Japan again, even though I was in the middle of downtown Detroit, but just talking and connecting with people and rapidly making friends and pouring myself out on Facebook, ad friend, ad friend, ad friend, ad friend. And those are all people I'm still in touch with to this day in different ways and traveled. I've reconnected with those people. And actually, here's a good Jet AA story. So one thing that surprises me, one, I, I don't assume that everyone on Jet had a great experience. So Jet AA may not be for them. They don't want to relive a difficult time in their life, right? Like most of us have had a really happy time, but few haven't. And I always, I always encourage people to connect more with JDA in general, because for me, you know, with the pandemic, I wanted to see my family. I'd finally gotten vaccinated and I just posted on different chapter groups and our different social groups. Hey, I'm going to drive across the country. I'm vaccinated. My mom is too, but she has medical complications that 
I don't want to risk, you know, her getting sick. And so people offered me places to stay across the country. And I was able to drive to Kansas City and and stay with with Blair. And what was awesome, she made me nabe when I got there. Right? Like, you know, like this isn't the normal, just like stranger taking you in for a night kind of a thing. And of course, we found out all the people we knew, all our connections and things like that. It's such a small world. And then I drove to Ohio, stayed with Jennifer, met her dog, Yoshi, who's super cute. And uh, we went for a walk on the, on gosh, whichever Great Lake we were next to. I think it's eerie. Yeah. And uh, that was lovely. And then I finally made it, finally made it home and saw my family for the first time in a year, had a lovely time. And then finally went back into the city and caught up with a bunch of my New York jet friends and just had a blast. And people like snuck out of work to meet me. And like, we went, we went and had a picnic in Central Park and caught, it was fantastic. Like just reconnecting. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, I just, I love those friendships and they're very special and they're very different from like normal friendships because we mm-hmm. somehow have this talent for like, oh, I haven't seen you in 10 years, but here's everything that happened somehow in the span of 20 minutes and you're all caught up with people. There's just this special ability. You should, there's this ishin denshin, this mind, mind read you have with your fellow alumni. And, and I think one of the nice things about the, the NatCon is that chapters are really good about making sure that people who are new to being officers get to go. So there always are new people mm-hmm. at the national convention. So you really do get, you know, I mean, you could have the same person go over and over. And sometimes that happens with chapters because there's one per, you know, it's hard to get other officers, people to volunteer in those roles. So you do have some people that are there recurring, but usually, you know, that's how you get people involved yeah. is going to a NatCon. I mean, I was an officer for eight or nine years here in Rocky Mountain. I only officially stepped down like three months ago, maybe. So it's hard to, it's hard to get it off your plate once it's on your plate. So, well, the, the, the former webmaster for JDA New England moved out here and then he asked about being secretary and I was like, yes, you can be secretary. Thanks. So one of the things that's interesting with smaller chapters is elections can be really hard. And a lot of, a lot of the time we opt for appointments instead, like people show an interest and the board votes to appoint some. We did elections in the distant past and nobody voted. So we had to think about our bylaws and change things around. And, you know, that's a tricky moment because you want to be democratic and open and right. transparent, but if no one's participating, you're, it, it sort of becomes a counterproductive, right? And so then it's about sort of just, you have to, as a board, you have to be extra open, extra friendly, extra available through like social media and answering people's questions and things like, you know, sometimes you get a benefit from being a small spread out chapter. So we have Emily, Emily Frank, she's a She's a, she's a jet alum. She's, she's the now famous career counselor that's helped out many, many jets. That's right. She's great. I I forget how I met her probably over beer somehow, some way. And we, we connected and got talking and we started, we, we've tried to do job, like job training things after people get back, but small asking people to drive across States to get people to come. It's really hard to get guests when you're not sure how many people are showing up. Like, you know, it's, it's challenging. How do you, how do you make it worth someone's time? And what we did was we realized that we had a career counselor among us and we started just offering it over Zoom and phone calls before the pandemic hit. And then when the pandemic did hit, we're like, oh, well, we do this anyway. So we're very well set up for that situation. So sometimes the small chapters are innovating ways that maybe the larger chapters aren't just out of necessity. So that, that was a really great boon. I thought that was a really, I remember when that started popping up on Facebook, that was a really terrific innovation. And then, we, and then now Emily's, you know, 
really involved and really known throughout the Jetalum community, which my, my favorite piece of feedback. So our chapter does a really intense work. And I remember one of the people was saying, um, like, oh man, I, I was, I was trying to tell her everything about Jet so she'd understand. And then I remember that she's a Jet alumni and I didn't have to do that. Right. Like it's, it's a real relief for people who are just back to not have to contextualize everything that they've just went through. Right. And she already knows how to help you sell the jet experience. You know, she mm -hmm. knows, she knows this is, you know, you can talk about the adaptability or uh, communication <laughs> skills you've gained or yeah. uh, the level of patience you've developed over, you know, a year, <laughs> a year or more of having little children chase you around. <laughs> well, Adam, I, we want to thank you. It has been it has been a real pleasure having you join us on the podcast today and sharing all of your, you know, from your personal jet path, jet career path, jet experience, <laughs> and and also about Jetta Rocky Mountain and and sort of what it's like from from a, a chapter leader perspective and getting involved mm -hmm. in all of that. Yeah, if people uh, move out here because this is the hot place to be, find us on Facebook. We got a website. Come and join us. Yeah, we, I know there are people moving here, so look for us. Yeah. And we will put the links in the show notes, but of course you can always just Google Jetta Rocky Mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, or so Rocky any, Mountain Jetta. Either one will get you to us. <laughs> Rocky Mountain Jetta. <laughs> part of the show. Anyway. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time in the Jettosphere. We'll see you next Later. time. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Jettosphere podcast, a production of JetWit.com. Special thanks to USJetAA and Claire for their support.